Hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. Those are the first two verses of Psalm 102, which is our psalm for the day, Maundy Thursday, April the 1st, 2021. Maundy Thursday is a painful and difficult day in the church. Um, in the liturgical church, it, it has particular and profound significance, and it's the day the Maundy is uh, from the Latin for mandatum that talks about a new commandment. The mandatum is the word for commandment. And so this day is the day that Jesus gave the new commandment, that he instituted the Lord's Supper. And the new commandment was to love one another as he has loved us. And that's when he goes into the um, the entire speech that, in my mind, just sort of peaks at um, greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And, and we're called to do that. That's, that's the life we're called to live, and we're shown the way to do that by Jesus' life himself, that we're to consider others greater than ourselves, and we're to in, in, in make their needs our needs. And as I was talking about yesterday, and, and I'm feeling the, that in so many people that I know right now, and so I'm, I'm deeply appreciative for that, and, and as I can't say that enough, and, it, and I can't convey the meaning enough of how much it means to me. And so I'm thankful for all you who are praying for me and Suzanne and Will and Pelham and our whole family, and it means more than you could ever possibly know, and it, it does at a deep, deep level. So we, um, we're coming today to Maundy Thursday, the night that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper uh, during Passover, and we think at the Seder meal, where the, the meal that, that preceded the judgment that God executed on Egypt. Um, with the killing of the firstborn of all who were not celebrating that, who had not put the blood on their doorposts, the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, so that God's angels could see that and pass over those homes in judgment. And so we, much the same, are covered in the blood of Jesus, and we plead the blood of Jesus, and that's how we pass through judgment, is because we are covered in his blood through belief in him and his righteousness, and that his sacrifice atoned for all sin for all time for those who believe. So it's an important day and moment in the history of the church. And, and in liturgical churches, when we finish that celebration, we do foot washing sometimes on that night too to commemorate what Jesus did for his disciples on that same day. And that can be a great day of moment of humility and love because to wash the feet of somebody who has sinned against you as an offering to them is a powerful, powerful thing. It's um, uh, the night ends with the stripping of the altar and the removal of the cross because now judgment has come into the world when Jesus leaves that room and goes toward Bethany and to, out towards the garden, the Mount of Olives, and Judas betrays him there. And so that's the setting for Maundy Thursday in the liturgical church. It's, it's a powerful day. And then you come in the next day for the Good Friday service, and there's no adornment in the room when you come in. And it's, it's a painful reminder, particularly in, in high liturgical churches, which tend to be greatly ornamented. And so here we, we begin with Jeremiah's lesson that says, Oh, Lord, you've deceived me, and I was deceived, and you're stronger than I, and you've prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all day. Everyone mocks me. When I speak, I cry out. I shout violence and destruction. For the Lord of the word of the Lord has become for me a reproach and a derision all day long. If I say I will not mention him or speak his, 
anymore in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. He's experiencing that persecution that came with being that prophet who pronounced destruction and violence at a time when there was actually prosperity, and, and they didn't see it coming, and they wouldn't listen to the Lord's judgment. And so what he's saying is, I wish that I weren't saying these things because I don't see these things in my flesh, and I'm not seeing them come true, and, and it's difficult to continue to speak this truth that comes from God when I'm not seeing this, and all I am is a, a byword. Even his close friends say, denounce him. Let us denounce him, watching for my fall. And so it's not that he's pleading for the coming of that judgment. It's, it's the, the sense of, of, I know something in my bones to be true. And yet when I say this, it seems ludicrous even to me sometimes to say these things. And so that's the way it is. And that's what Jeremiah's struggling with in this moment. But he says, I, you know, I, I could make up my mind not to say these things, but there's this thing that like a burning fire shut up in my bones and I can't hold it in anymore. I have to speak these things. No matter what it means for me, I have to speak these things. And, and that's true, you know. And, and sometimes it's, it's difficult to praise the Lord in a barren wasteland. But, but it's what we must do because we, we must stand in that truth that God is good no matter what that means for me. Um, and sometimes we have to proclaim that truth even when it doesn't look like that's going to be true. We have to proclaim what we know to be true from the Word of God and what He's promised us as individuals personally as well. Those things are both important. Um, there's so much in the lessons today. I'm not sure how in the world I'm supposed to do this in, in such a brief time. If we skip from there to the gospel, you know, we know that, that everything that it looked like was true suddenly gets reversed in the trial, the persecution and the prosecution and the cross and, and there's this great upheaval and it looks for all the world like that truth no longer matters at all Pilate even asked what is truth I have no idea is what he's basically saying it's the he's Pilate's the first first postmodernist the one who can question if there is anything such as truth because when you ask the question what is truth you're really asking the question is there any such thing as truth? And the world that we live in, actually, it's very difficult to figure out what that truth is because we're, we're talking about a truth that transcends the reality that we live. And we're proclaiming that truth, that truth that transcends reality, a truth that transcends what we can see with our eyes and experience in our daily lives. So to, to proclaim this was created by a God who is both great and good is a, is a difficult prospect. Um, and to say that God loves this world, I mean, it, that, that's a very difficult thing to say or believe, but it's true. And the proof is the cross. The proof is the, the love of God that sent his son into the world, that he would die and take on the sin of the world so that there could be eternal life for this mortal flesh. And so Jesus here prays, and he's praying this high priestly prayer in John 17, 1 to 26. And like I said, how, how I'm supposed to come in on all that, I'm not really sure, but I'll give it a, a bit of a shot anyway. I'll, I might have to do an extended podcast just on this passage. Jesus is saying, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. 
um, since you've given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to whom you've given him, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Um, there are not many ways to the Father, and there are not many fathers. Jesus says you're the only true God. So that which does not point to that true God is false. And Jesus said that not only that, they, they not only know you, but they also know Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. This is the scandal of particularity, that we don't have a bunch of different options on how to get to God. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus Christ, and it's through confessing him as the true and only begotten Son of the Father. He said, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do, and now glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world existed. He said, I've made your name known, manifested it to all the people you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they've kept your word. Now they know that everything you've given me is from you. For I've given them the words you gave me, and they've received them, and they've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they've believed that you sent me. Jesus says, I've been a faithful servant. I've been a faithful prophet. The words you gave me, I gave to them. And, and praise the Lord, thank God for the Holy Spirit. They have received those things, and they have believed those things. They know in truth these things. Like Jeremiah said, it's fire in the bones. It, it, we've got to know it at that level. That's what Jesus is talking about. It's just a very intensified belief that you know it in your bones. And you know it in such a way that if you don't know anything else in the world is true, then you know those things are true. Because this world is not going to throw a lot of truth at you. There's going to be a lot of conflicting information. You're going to go through things that are going to cause you to question every other truth. And there's a good basis for that. There's a good reason for that. Because ultimately, what you want to do is tear down everything that is um, contingently true so that you can get to those things that are eternally true. And that's what Jesus is saying. He came to reveal those things that are eternally true. In the midst of this world, you want to be anchored in that eternal truth, not in those things that, that can come and go with fashion and time. The world changes. This does not. And these are the truths that he came to reveal to us, are the ones that we can stand in and know that we can stand in no matter what the world throws at us, good or bad. He said, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. Think about that. Jesus is saying, I'm glorified in you, you as a person. That's, that's a heavy responsibility, except for it's not, because all we have to do in order to glorify him is to abide in him and let his light shine through us. He said, I'm no longer in the world. He knew what was coming, and he, he said, that, you know, I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one even as we are one. I mean, he, the, what he wants for us, for his disciples, is the same kind of oneness that he and the Father experience with the Holy Spirit in the perfect communion and union in the Trinity. And he wants that for us, whether we're extended all over the earth or whether in one community, particularly in one community, we need to show that. But 
the witness of the church universal is a wonderful and powerful thing, and I'm experiencing it right now because I've got friends all over the world who are praying for us and letting us know that publicly on Facebook, and it's a powerful thing for me to experience, and, and I hope for those who are close to me who are not in Jesus Christ, I hope they see the power of, of the people of God becoming one with one another and, and in prayer for one another. It's a powerful witness. And he says, while I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And he's, that's shepherd language. I've guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. He has kept them safe through his life. He's done the job that he was given to do, which is to safeguard these men to this point. He said, but now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I want them to know how much I love them. I want them to know how much you love them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Our citizenship is in heaven. It's in the heavenly kingdom. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Don't take them with me. No, do this. You keep them from the evil one. They're not of the world, just as I'm not of the world which is to say they're hated because they're countercultural. They speak of a different culture. And because of that, they're not of the world. And therefore, they will be hated by the ruler of this world. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And we have to be sanctified in the truth. We have to be made holy by the word of God. And he doesn't say your red letters are truth. He says your word is truth. And so to say you're a red letter Christian is to say that you're a partial Christian and a partial believer. And it's not good enough. But your word is truth. All of your word is truth. And we've got to stand in that. We've got to be sanctified in that. If we're to know him truly and to serve him truly. He said, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself. Consecration is to set apart, to set aside for a particular purpose. And so Jesus is saying, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. So Jesus is the high priest who is consecrated before the Lord. He is consecrated and set apart in order that we may be sanctified in truth. So the work of Jesus is that we might be sanctified in truth. His consecration is going to be painful. But that pain leads to unending joy and hope. He said, I don't ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He prayed for you when he prayed that. That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. So he's praying for more than just simple unity between brethren. He's praying that we might be united with him. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are. We join in the communion and the joy of the Trinity and the life of the Trinity. And we express that life here on earth through our lives, both singularly and communally. We participate right now in the life of the Trinity through the power of the Holy Spirit, which binds us to him. And he says, so that they may be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me.
the purpose of our community is, is to celebrate that unity, but it's also that others would see our unity and our unity in him in order that they might believe the truth of the gospel proclamation that Jesus was the one God sent. He says, the glory you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one without flaw or blemish. Man, we've got some work to do, don't we? I know I do. I don't know if that convicts you to talk about that perfect unity, but, but it certainly convicts me. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. The Father loves us. If we're in Christ, the Father loves us exactly like he loves him. That's how much you're loved by your Heavenly Father just as he loves his only begotten son. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. And you see that in the Revelation. You see John taken up into that place where he can absolutely see the glory of Jesus, the glory that has been given to him by the Father since before the foundation of the world, out of love. It's a powerful reminder of, of what we will see and what we can see, not in our eyes right now, but in our spirit, we can see that glorification of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. We can see all of heaven breaking down in worship of him, praising him, ascribing the same worth to him that they ascribe to the Father, which again says it's a three-in-one God. They're not giving different praise to the Son. They're giving the same praise, ascribing the same honor to Him. He says, O righteous Father, even the world doesn't know you. I know you, and these know that you've sent me. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. Pastors, are we praying for our own congregations this way? Is this the way we feel about our congregations? Do we, do we want them to know what we know? Do we want them to experience what we experience? Do we want that kind of unity enough to work for it? It's our job to make his name known. He's going to continue to make it known through us, through love, the love that pours out itself on that cross. It's a poignant and painful reminder. And then Paul comes back in that 1 Corinthians passage. He comes back around and speaks about communion. He said, the cup of blessing that we bless, it's, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there's one bread. We who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. And that's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we will not be judged. So what Paul's saying is there is something powerful in that communion that we share with one another in the, in the body and bread of Christ represented by bread and wine. 
I'm not a transubstantiationist. I don't believe that that, that bread and wine is transformed into anything. What I do believe, though, is in the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist in a particular kind of way. And I believe that because Paul says, if you, if you do not confess your sins, essentially, and, and, and make a right judgment about yourself and pour that out before the Lord before you take that cup and bread, then you're drinking judgment on yourself. And he says the physical reality is is that some of you are weak and ill, and some have died because of that failure. So is it a cup of blessing or is it a cup of judgment? It matters when we come to communion how we have prepared ourselves for that communion. Paul says it can mean the difference between life and death. Here's the other side of that coin, right? I mean, if you have, then you're taking in new life. So the potential for what you take when you take that bread and that cup is up to you. There's power there one way or another. And when you come, you need to come prepared. You need to come as though you're kneeling before the cross, humbly receiving life for your mortal body that you know to be riddled with sin. And when you do that, then you're not drinking a cup of judgment, you're drinking a cup of blessing, a cup of renewal. It's a beautiful and powerful thing that we have this gift of communion that Jesus gave us this day. There's great power and great potential and great possibility. There's potential for healing, in my mind, in in that communion if there's potential for weakness illness and death then there's potential for strength healing and life let's remember that every single time we come to that place of communion and let us want that not just for ourselves but for those all around us that's the reason we have the peace where we proclaim peace among us. And it should be a time of forgiveness for wherever there's hurt, wherever there's pain, wherever there's separation. He wants us to be one. And if we come as one, as the people of God, not bearing grudges or enmity against one another, if we confess our sins to one another and we come to that place of peace and then we go from there to communion and we come as one, there's great power. Let's consider that and let's unleash the power in our worship. In the name of Christ. Amen.